0: Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Third John, towards the end of the New Testament. Third John, we'll be looking at verses 9 and 10. This morning we considered God's divine discipline alongside His deliverance, and we come again to another text that addresses opposition. Opposition from the devil, so another hard text to consider this evening, but this is the beauty of expository preaching, of going verse by verse, As we get what we get when we come to it. So 3 John, verses 9 and 10, before we hear God's word read, let's go to him asking for his help in understanding this text. Our gracious God, you who abound in steadfast love and forgiveness, we pray that you would be Again, steadfastly committed to us to show us the truth in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 3 John 9 and 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So last week, as we considered verses 5 through 8, we ended with the encouragement to go fishing, to support the fishing Of the church. Verse 8 says, Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. With the three corded fishing rod, held by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we together support the mission of Christ to baptize and to disciple the nations, teaching them everything that Christ has commanded them. And there are many fish in the sea ruled by the king who is over land and sea, over the air, over all. This king, our Christ, has been working on a massive cleansing project to clarify the waters, to purify the waters. The waters, after all, are murky from the filth of the fish, filth from the fish's own sin, for one But to break the analogy, there's also filth from the fierce fishers. Fishers not of men, but fishers of menace. There are evildoers who are not fishing for the good of the elect, but who seek to pull the elect out of the refreshing waters of the Lord, that they might fry them up and devour them. We are assured, however through this text, that God will deal with the diabolical schemes of men who hate His missionaries and their supporters. Again, verse 9 says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. It is certainly not a surprise that wherever the gospel goes, so goes evil. We meet a man here who is forever in the annals of history of evil men. We must never deceive ourselves, church, by thinking that our support of gospel men will be well received by everyone, including even those who, whose lips profess to have Christ in common. A Gentile, one by the name of Diotrephes, does not acknowledge the authority of John the Elder. This man, John tells us, talks wicked nonsense against us. He regularly slanders the church of Christ. Now, we don't know exactly what specifically he was saying, but John is confident, and so we can be confident that whenever Diotrephes spoke about John, it was not pleasant. It was not good words. It was not words to edify, but words to destroy. He spoke ill of John. He spoke ill of the traveling missionaries. He spoke ill even of Gaius. He's he's bad-mouthing the church though he is part of the church. He's not making light accusations, but he's making serious charges. that John is wicked. John is evil. We pause for a moment and we ask, are we stunned to read these words? To read of someone in, in the early church who does this? shouldn't be stunned. Stick around the church. It doesn't matter where you go. You will hear wicked nonsense from time to time. You'll hear it even from perhaps unlikely speakers. It happens everywhere because sinners are everywhere. And some sinners, as we'll see later on, prefer themselves to everyone else. Slander doesn't stop at the church's doorstep doesn't say, well, this is the house of the Lord, this is holy ground, we shouldn't enter. No, slander struts in and does so without thinking, does so with nonsense. Either Diatrophes misspoke and just ran with it, or more likely he intentionally misrepresented John and Gaius and these traveling missionaries. But in either case, what he is saying is babble. He's not able to connect the dots of the charges that he is making, that John is wicked, that these missionaries shouldn't be supported, that Gaius is wrong for supporting these missionaries. It's not a marvel for for many of us when we hear some slanderous scuttlebutt and we say, that doesn't make any sense. That that seems too fishy. And I know what he says, and I, I know how, how she acts, and that doesn't compor- what you're saying doesn't comport with what he believes, with what she does. You must be mistaken. But the slander remains, and the sword of slander slashes the ministry of the church, and it aims at the, the name, at the neck of Christ. Christ. Let us never think that our speech has no effect, either for good or for ill. There is great power in the tongue, as James tells us, either to curse our siblings in the Lord or to bless them. And Diotrephes here uses his slanderous, snaked tongue not to encourage those who have gone out for the sake of the name, but to blaspheme the brothers and so slander the name, the precious name of Christ. How this came about, we're not sure. A couple different reconstructions are are reasonable. One says that Diatrophes refuses the reading of 1 John, which is why John has to write this letter known as 3 John, a personal letter to Gaius, letting Gaius know what's been going on with Diatrophes. That's one way of understanding how we have 3 John. Or it could be that Gaius was leading one house church and Diatrophes was leading another and John sends these traveling missionaries, and they go to Diotrephes' church first, and they are coming as sent under the authority of John, but Diotrephes rejects them, doesn't support their mission, turns them away, and so they're without support until they meet up with Gaius, and they find refuge, they find lodging, they find hospitality, but in either scenario, and for whatever reason, these brothers that we ought to support, verse 8 says, these brothers are denied that much-needed support, that hospitality, that, those, that money, that, that food, that drink, travel expenses, and on and on. Diatchavis refuses to, quote, welcome the brothers, in verse 10. And this word, welcome the brothers, is used in just the previous verse, in verse 9, as acknowledge. Diatrophes does not acknowledge the authority of John. He doesn't acknowledge apostolic authority. He doesn't welcome that. And if he's not going to welcome that authority, certainly he's not going to welcome the brothers who are coming through that authority as well. So he disregards John's commendation of these men who have gone out for Christ. The Word of God must be met with loving warmth and reception. It must meet the people of God. The people of God must receive those who go out for the sake of the name. The authority of God is connected here to those who trust in that authority of God. But this man's dastardly deeds go even beyond a refusal to welcome these brothers. He stops them from receiving support. He stops them from worshiping together with the church. He even kicks out those in the church who want to support these missionaries. He treats faithful servants of Christ as false teachers for whatever reason. Perhaps, as, we see, as we'll see in just a minute, it's because they threatened his authority. Maybe he wasn't on board with the message that they were communicating. In either case, these missionaries need to be stopped, and those who support these missionaries likewise needed to be stopped. And in so doing, The rejects the Great Commission of Christ, and so the expansion of the truth, he is striking at what Christ is doing through his people. And of course, that's very serious. And that's why John records this. It is a very serious matter to go against the great commission of Christ. And so di- diabolical diatrophies is, in a word, divisive. He might think that he is acting in the Spirit, at the peace and purity of the church, but his actions do not let the brothers dwell in unity. It would be, something similar would be, would be this. Many of you know Chuck and Celia Williams. You know that we have uh, sent them out. They, uh, they're planting a church down in Florida. And we are financially supporting them for the next three years. Let's say that Chuck and Celia come here for a a visit, come for some rest, some refuge, Christian encouragement, a time to give us a report concerning the ministry of this church plant in Florida. And then someone in in this congregation, be he an officer or not, speaks against this individual, says that Chuck is a false teacher, and Chuck's ministry rejects the authority of Christ. And this individual then soon gains quite the following. It doesn't matter what the other elders are saying, that they are supporting Chuck. If this man was on accord, stops Chuck and Celia from worshiping here, stops them from receiving support, and even kicks out those who are supporting Chuck. That's the kind of thing that's going on in John's day. Again, it's, it's a threat to the gospel cause. It's a threat to the expansion of the truth. And that is why John takes this very seriously. But why the slander? Why the divisive spirit? Well, John tells us it is because of a failure to humble himself before God's divine authority. It is because of a commitment to himself as the one in charge of everything. The fundamental folly of Diotrephes and all those who follow him is a spirit of pride. And Diotrephes himself may not be a heretic. There's nothing in here that that tells us that Diotrephes is spouting out false teaching. He might have all of his theological uh, ducks in a row. But his arrogance is getting in the way of the peace and purity of the church, and he's even getting people out of the way of righteousness. Man's desire to promote himself, man's love to be ranked number one, is disastrous to others. (coughs) It ruins relationships. This man is too sure of himself too proud of himself to serve the Lord humbly. His life verse, twisted, is let Christ decrease and let me increase. He's the first one in line, and he's offended when anyone would question him. There is a little diatrophies in all of us, if we're honest with God, We often, or we will at times, give in to the temptation to slander another with our words. We will poison the minds of others, perhaps through gossip, about those that we've had a run-in with. We will do all of this because we desire that person's praise, that person's allegiance, that person's loyalty for our own kingdom causes. There was a man in Calvin's day named Matteo Gribaldi, who was deeply offended by Calvin. Like many, Calvin, um, Calvin's teachings were, were hated. Uh, this, uh, this man, Matteo Gribaldi, did not like Calvin's teachings, did not like what we call the Reformed doctrines, hated the very idea of predestination. And that was the settled teaching in Geneva it is scriptural. Not only that, but Grabaldi blamed John Calvin, as many did unjustly. They blamed him for Michael Servetus' execution. And Garibaldi also believed that Christ was a newly invented God. So, he had his own false teaching, and he had some problems with Calvin, well Calvin knew the kind of man Gribaldi was before these two met, because Garibaldi had been operating behind Calvin's back at dinner parties, spreading lies and undermining the settled teaching of Scripture. And Gribaldi wanted to meet with Calvin. Calvin says, Fine, you may come. But I want some witnesses present. Calvin did not, based on what Garibaldi had been doing, because Calvin knew what Garibaldi was doing. Calvin did not view this man as a brother, at least at the time of the meeting. And so, when they come to discuss the faith, Calvin did not offer his hand to Garibaldi. He didn't shake his hand. And this was highly offensive to Grabaldi. This Pleasantry that was not observed really got Garibaldi in a tizzy. Calvin begged to be excused for not following this particular ceremony until they had discussed their respective beliefs, but Garibaldi would have none of it. His view of self was overly inflated. The point here is that this attitude isn't just in the heart of a deatrophies, it isn't just in the heart of a Grabaldi, but it tries to increase in us as well. Do we think too much of ourselves and not enough of Christ? Do we think too much of ourselves and not enough about one another? The context here is missions. Missions is not for the self. It's not what you can do for yourself. It's not giving and supporting the cause for your own glory. Missions is for the Savior, in whose name we go out and whose name we support. John Newton said, I have read of many wicked popes, but the worst pope I have ever met is Pope Self. There isn't just a diatrophies in us all. There is a little pope as well. We are the ultimate authority. We are the ones who will direct how we live, and no one will tell us otherwise. And that's the mentality that John is speaking against. And that's the mentality that we need to be aware of. That we might go to the Lord regularly in prayer, asking for him by his Spirit to crush that idol. To destroy that Pope in our hearts. To bring down that Diotrephes. And from verse 10, we see, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. The good news is that the opposition will be driven out in God's timing. John knows that Diotrephes will be dealt with. He's just unsure when this will happen. If I come... When I come, John has more information about Diotrephes than does Gaius. And so if, when he comes, John will not be silent by any stretch of the imagination, he will make known Diotrephes' wicked deeds to everyone. And here we already have just a glimmer of of what that is. He doesn't do what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 5 in the case of the man who was sleeping with his stepmom. Remember, in that case, Paul, from a distance, pronounces apostolic judgment on the man. And he says, you need to purge that wicked leaven. You've got to get that out. It's an evil, it's an evil lump. Just hand him over to Satan, he says, so that he'll know his sin. He restored to the church. And he and He is. 2 Corinthians, we, we see that reconciliation, that restoration. That's not what John does here. He doesn't pronounce that judgment from afar. Perhaps because of Diotrephes' standing or whatever reason John's interest is in bringing the full weight of the problem in person, he, he waits. But Diotrephes' deeds cannot be ignored even now. That's why he wrote this. Guys, you have to know what this man is doing. The truth must come out. It is wise at times, dear ones, to make known the evil deeds of first promoters, of those who slander the church, of those who separate brother from brother. And knowing what we do about Diotrephes, he's not going to go down humbly. He likes to be first. He'll refuse to go down he'll insist on being the victim. He might even round up a vocal minority of supporters and keep making accusations about John, Gaius, and the others. His discipline, his humbling, though it is certain, will not be pleasant. It will not be pretty unless God grants him the gift of repentance. In every church, must ask yourself, are we ready to deal with consequences of discipline? Shall our elders be faithful for the sake of the church of Christ to see where the Lord in His direction will take the church through godly discipline? And it is your job, members, to pray that the elders would remain faithful. We need your prayers. Going through discipline is a hard thing. Getting all of our disciplinary ducks in a row takes wisdom, takes thought, takes humility before God's Word. And we covet your prayers to be faithful in this way. And if a diatrophies pops up in a local church, the members of the church must ask, are we going to ride out in the sunset with this guy? Or will we, will we humbly receive guidance, guidance from the elders? But even more individually, from day to day, will we humble ourselves when God by His Spirit shows us our slander, when God by His Spirit shows where we might have a spirit of division, when God by His Spirit shows us even the beginnings of self-promotion, will we humble ourselves, and acknowledge where we have gone astray. Will we, again, allow the Word of God to dwell richly in us and to continue to do the much-needed work of cutting away at our sinful flesh? Divine timing calls for divine patience. Patience that we can only get from above. As hard as it must have been for Gaius, he needed to wait patiently for John to come. John didn't know when he was coming. And until John came, Diatrophes was still going to be there. He was still going to wreak havoc. He was still going to reject the authority of John. He was still going to refuse the supporters and those who would support the supporters. John practiced patience. Because clearly, through his words, we know where he stands. Nevertheless, the Lord's call for them was to endure for a time the evil of this particular man. All the while, Gaius was to keep supporting the brothers. Be patient. Endure. But don't let that endurance, don't let that patience drive you away from continuing to do what God calls you to do, which in this case was to support the gospel. This is for our good, this patient endurance. The venerable Abid says we must patiently endure those who attack us because of their own wickedness so that we may become better people. You know that the Lord keeps enemies, false brothers, false friends, those who call themselves Christians, the Lord will use them, even them, for your good that you might grow. The Lord uses remaining opposition, heated attacks, plots against us, vitriolic slander, and even movements for church discipline. He uses all of these things and more for His glory, for our growth. He perfects His people even by allowing the enemies to stick around for a time And sometimes, as David says in Psalm 23, we commune with God in the presence of our enemies. The enemies do not threaten our communion with the Lord. And the enemies, used by God, as we saw this morning, to test us, to equip us for war, to humble us, they all have God God has a purpose for all of these. It is hard. It is not up to us to argue with God what is best for us. Yes, we can cry out, how long, O Lord? Yes, we can cry out, Lord, remove this thorn from my flesh. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. God is no less good when he keeps the thorn in there than when he removes it. And as we follow a biblical procedure for dealing with opposition, as we patiently wait on his timing, we are being slowly shaped into the image of Christ. After all, it was Christ who patiently waited on his Father's will, who day in, day out, moment by moment, obeyed his father in every way, fulfilling every jot and tittle of the law. It was a son who was surrounded by his enemies. It was the father who allowed the enemies to surround the son, to allow Pontius Pilate, to allow the Sadducees and the Pharisees to to mock him, to accuse him, To say, let his blood be upon us and our children. Crucify him. It was our Father who allowed all of that for the Son. That the Son might die. And be raised from the dead. For our justification. For our righteous standing. For our eventual glorification. Judgment will come. Vindication is certain, but there is still time for mercy. There is still time for reconciliation. There is still time for repentance. There is still time for peace. Are we humble enough to wait for it? Are we zealous enough to strive for it? It may come, but it may not come. Either way, Christ our Savior is shaping us still. Let's pray. Our God. We do thank you for this difficult text. It is never pleasant to consider division, to consider diabolical opposition, to consider how the church can be hurt from within. Of course it can be hurt from without, but it seems Lord to hurt even more, to be more grievous when the attacks are from within. And so it does grieve us to, to read of this kind of thing happening, but we are not ignorant that this is the kind of thing that happened to you. This is the kind of thing that happened to the son who had a false friend, a betrayer, Judas. This is the kind of thing that happened in church history and happens today. And so we humble ourselves before you, O God, and ask that you would continue to shape us by your Spirit through all means possible. In Christ's name we pray, amen.